Welcome to a Pint with Shawnee B. We're in our sponsor's bar again, Houndstooth uh, Pub on 37th and 8th Avenue. Sister bar to Stitch Bar across the street. And these are our sponsors. And uh, the owner, Nick Cohen, is a good friend of mine. He has said that anyone who listens to this, and the numbers are growing, uh, who is in New York, pop into either of those establishments, mention a pint with Shawnee B, and you get a free pint from the establishment. I'm here today with an ex-colleague of mine, a guy who's a cool dude, and I worked with first in JWT back in 2008. His name was Kenny Thacker. He just told me his title, and I've already forgotten it, uh, which is in charge of... Um, what am I in charge of? I don't even know. It changes all the time. But um, <laughs> basically, I'm the senior event technology specialist at J. Walter Thompson. I have been for... The last going on 10 years, so, you know, know, I hang out with the global CEO a lot, cool guys like Shawnee B. Um, you know. When I first joined JWT, Kenny was like the magic guy who made everything happen for our big pitches. He yeah. was always there, the smile on his face, really cool. You know, we were all in the flap getting ready for big presentations in Atlanta or something, and he somehow manages to get everything sort of working for us. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about his role uh, for the last five years, which has been in charge of the diversity issue, I'll call it, in JWT and across the board in advertising, not just in New York, but across the world, really, I guess, yeah. but but especially totally. in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I call myself a diversity advocate. Um, for all the diversity and inclusion programs that we did at J. Walter Thompson. Now, I've worked for J-Dub and I've mm-hmm. worked for a couple of other big agencies mm-hmm. in, in America. To me, the issue always felt like it was a kind of a lip service exercise, that agencies were not doing this from a proactive point of view, but from a reactive point of view. They were getting flack, rightly so, I think. Give me an overview of, of maybe how the, that issue has become more important in the light, in the eyes of agencies. Well, just to go back to the flag that you were talking about, I mean, probably in the 80s or so, there was a class action lawsuit that was filed against the advertising um, industry, period, okay, okay. because there just wasn't enough um, minorities and women in in the business or in leadership positions. So it really started back then, but to go back even farther, back in the about 50 years ago, a gentleman by the name of Bill Sharp started the basic advertising course that ushered in people of color and different backgrounds right. into advertising. And Bill Sharp was actually um, the first group copy supervisor at right. J. Walter Thompson. Rest in peace. Um, he, he was an African-American? African-American. Okay. And he wrote a book, actually, called How to Get a Job in Advertising and Be Black Anyway. Right. Um, you can get it on digital download. Around the same time as mm-hmm. him, there was a great, um, my favorite movie about advertising, and uh, not a lot of people know of it. Um, it's called Putney Swope. Mm-hmm. which you're going to have a look at. But Putney Swope, I think, is available on, uh, on on YouTube. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's a, it's done by Robert Downey Jr.'s father, also called Robert Downey. And it's about what happens if a, if Black Panthers took over Madison Avenue and it's mm-hmm. fucking wet, whacked out there, but really good. <laughs> so your point is that maybe 40 years ago, mm-hmm. this was showing fine signs of being of being okay mm-hmm. and then uh, probably what 70s and 80s it just didn't happen right because we yeah. had this guy who was obviously a figurehead yeah. why didn't it happen when you're used to something right you kind of don't see outside of your comfort zone yeah so i don't think people wanted to do that or they just didn't felt like it was their problem yeah you know what i mean if they felt like oh well things work well with 
this person has a similar background as I do, mm-hmm. you know, probably went to a similar college, maybe, yeah. you know, grew up in a similar home. Those are the kind of people they trust mm-hmm. necessarily. So I think it was done um, unconsciously. People of color, that either they get turned off because they're not being respected or they're not being heard. Yeah. And they're like, well, maybe this business isn't just isn't for me. Yeah. Maybe I can go somewhere where there's a couple other people. Well, I'm not the elephant in the room. Like a friend of mine by the name of Lincoln Stevens, yeah. he wrote an article in, in CNN Today called The Elephant in the Room that just breaks down the whole diversity problem and yeah. how it can be fixed. The industry, for some reason, decided, whether by accident or design, that it would splinter off mm-hmm. into specialist companies mm-hmm. that target African Americans mm-hmm. or that target uh, Hispanics mm-hmm. and it was almost like that was their kind of excuse for saying oh well there's, there's agencies that are doing those different sort of races if you exactly. want which is kind of stupid but, but I kind of see where I can understand the Spanish English yeah. language mm-hmm. issue but I can't really understand the I mean when you when you talk about uh, products that you know, African Americans use differently. I did work on Gillette, mm-hmm. and it was very intriguing to me because I was global head of, of strategy at BBDO for for that, and Procter and Gamble owns Gillette. And I remember being on a call once. And this is this is not about employment. This is more just straight up racism, where the Russians were saying, "If you're making this ad, do not put a black person in it." And it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Of course, everybody went, "Oh right, we won't." <laughs> Right. So quick. Uh, and if you, I don't know if you've ever been to Russia. Russia is one of the most yeah. fucking TV racist countries I've ever I'm been sure. in in my life. I don't care. And I'm not even saying with apologies to any Russians <laughs> listening because you are. And there's my little bit of racism. Uh, but um, and I'm sure it's a generalization. But but anyway, so we had the, you had this position where you have a, a massive brand mm-hmm. that's supposed to be empowering. Mm-hmm. Like Gillette is all about getting men to be their yeah. best. And here they were. They could have taken a stand right there. Mm-hmm. And if you were maybe Nike or if you were a braver brand and not P&G owned you might have gone yeah you know what we're going to do all of our ads of black people in Russia because we might change the debate mm-hmm. and I, I, I found that very deeply uncomfortable mm-hmm. in, in, in that call talk to me a bit about just the dynamic of the industry and how it has kind of it has pigeonholed races uh, and is that partly contributing to the problem what do you think I think it has because my wife always says people use labels because they don't know what else to use. It's almost like cursing sometimes. We call, we're going to call this group the whatever group. We're going to call this the African American pioneers and we're going to yeah. call this the Asian trailblazers and we're going to call this the Hispanic yeah. heroes or whatever. Yeah. But it's all because they feel like people need to belong to something. Yeah. Unfortunately, millennials don't can feel that way. Mm. They don't feel like they need to belong to shit. They yeah. just exist, yeah. you know what I mean? Because regardless of, you know, to get off track to think about, you know, the police situation with African-Americans mm. and minorities and everything like that, they're getting a new dose of Rodney King from 92 yeah. right now. But they're viewing it as a generation. They don't they don't view racism as a black people's Who's problem. Who's they? The cops. Millennials. 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 Okay. They, view, they view it as more as a generational problem. Even though this was happening in the 80s, 90s. A little bit in the, in the between 2000 and 2010, but really a lot more between 2010 and now. They're more viewing it as a generational problem. So, meaning what? Meaning that oh, this is just happening to us. 
irrespective of irre- race or color, irre- irrespective of race or color. Okay, and that's and that's why but you see yeah. a lot, and that's why you see a lot of millennials in like marches and stuff like yeah. that because like they feel like, well, my college roommate or the three guys down in my psych class was black. He's my friend. Yeah. It could fucking happen to me too, or yeah. it could happen to him. I don't want that to happen. To Has my the friend. number of, of non, say, African American protesters risen? I think it has, but like the perfect person to answer that question probably be my mom because she marched in Selma. Yeah. But and like I have an aunt and uncle, well, rest my uncle that passed away, but I have an aunt who's still alive, who's white, who I call her my aunt, and she marched in Selma too. Yeah. So I don't know, like, well, I think, the comparison. I think back then, I think back then there would there was very few people who weren't of color marching yeah partially possibly because they were afraid but partly yeah. because a lot of them were fucking racist yeah so exactly um, you know there was a, there was a major racism problem in the country today yeah. i think it's it's still there it's but still it's there. buried a little bit it's, i think it's still there and actually i don't think it is buried anymore because now i mean obviously with you know technology and social media everyone has a motherfucking opinion yeah you know what i mean and but they can be um, how can I use it? Keyboard gangsters, you yeah. know, and they can say it from this anonymous Twitter account yeah. and say all these really horrible and like nasty yeah. things about anyone. Yeah. Not, I mean, even someone else who's who's white, just yeah. because they're supporting a certain movement or whatever the case may be, <laughs> and never you'll never know who that person is, you know, and and they don't have to be held responsible, yeah, either. Before before social media was like a really big thing, everyone kind of like it was almost like. With the LGBT people, LGBT community people could just like kind of be in the closet and not come out, yeah. but, you know, kind of be on the low. We kind of had on the low racists, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now people are like hell with it. I can say whatever the fuck I want. I mean, look at the guy who's running for president right now. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. no conscience to anything that this guy is saying. He can say whatever he wants, but and he knows some part of motherfucking America is going to be like, yeah, this guy should be our next fucking president, even though he sounds like fucking Hitler. So, yeah. so, so what has happened is, and you, you, you're very carefully brought in the social media, mm-hmm. what has happened is people are politically correct. Mm-hmm. In their views, yeah. so they don't, and then suddenly Trump comes along, and goes away, and suddenly everyone's allowed to go, yeah, fuck it, you yeah, know. And it's exactly. not just about blacks; it's about everything. Yeah, it's, it's about, about every. I mean, he hates white people. He's allowing, <laughs> he's giving people permission to bring their worst side out. Yeah, and that's the part that that's the part that scares me because yeah. there's people that agree, yeah, and it's people agree that that you know, yeah. you know, like when when I when I found out several people that I knew agreed with him I kind of distanced myself yeah. with them because I'm like then if you really agree with him then why were we ever I know kind of friends? I'm noticing a lot you of know? people have, I, 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 I've caught a few people mm-hmm. who are mortified that they've liked him or something mm-hmm. you know what I mean because like, yeah. you know people oh, I don't want to talk about politics yeah. Now, yeah you talk about this guy if you're, if yeah. you're, if you're saying that a new fascist yeah. or let's call it space <laughs> exactly space, is going to take over. I mean, I, we're, we're recording this where it looks really likely that he's going to become the uh, GOP nomination. Uh, oh, yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, I mean, quote me on that. I mean, you're yeah. going to hear this months from now, but yeah. he will be. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Tell I mean, me about, tell me a bit of a more macro bizarre. thing about how you see the country I mean, in, in, the race, in, in, in that eye of race. 2016 is 1992, except with cameras. But police still get off. 
and all these other terrible things are happening. The only difference is that now we have all these different medias that the news gets out, you know, in the split of a second yeah. and everything like that. But as far as like people being accountable for the terrible things that are happening to people of color, regardless if they're you know black, Hispanic. Um, or Asian or whatever the case yeah. may be like no one's being really held accountable yeah. for any of these horrible things that are happening especially when it comes to people that are unarmed yeah. I mean like look if a guy is toting around a gun you know okay I get it yeah. but like if the guy is just running away or no, I mean, we've selling s- a cigarette we've seen case, executions maybe, yeah I mean literally but and this is happening more here in America than any other place on the Planet. And it's setting us back, and you're breeding like this kind of hate amongst the youth. And the reason why I bring up the youth, obviously, because you know, have a daughter, sometimes she doesn't understand like what's happening on the television while we're watching CNN and she's seeing Baltimore burning or she's yeah. seeing Ferguson burning yeah. or whatever city it is that week. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's how it's been lately. It's like every other week something happened. And I tweeted actually something last year. I said, "You think your job sucks? Imagine being a good cop in 2015." Mm-hmm. But when teenage boys don't see the age of 18 mm-hmm. because they're gunned down for, yeah. by police, just because oh well they got in a tussle or he was speeding or his music was loud. No, I mean I, I, as, an ad, as an outsider from Ireland looking in, and again mm-hmm. I, the conversations we have in Europe about mm-hmm. America, really. You're, you're as an outsider looking in. You can often isolate and identify the real problem. That if if the guns thing was sorted out, yes, I think a huge amount of this would go away. Totally. Twitchy cops. Totally. Uh, you know, every black man is carrying a gun and might yeah. kill me. Yeah. I mean, that's that's in people's heads. Yes. The the irony is that you've got just as much likelihood as you know the hunky guys yeah. going to have a gun. And especially in Texas when it's a gun-carrying state, you know, so everyone's packing. I I have this thing about, like, the the need to have debate and dialogue that's intelligent Mm -hmm. and going to hopefully move things forward in a good way. You have on the one side fascists like Trump, and the problem is as soon as you start straying into discussing Muslims or Mm -hmm. black people or whatever, you're very easily tarred with that brush. And so on the other side, you have regressive leftism, which mm-hmm. is this whole idea that you mustn't say anything bad about anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you mustn't criticize Islam. Yeah. Uh, well, Islam, I think, needs to be criticized in a kind of constructive way, but not mm-hmm. in a way that says, you know, we're going to throw acid or we're going to beat yeah. up Muslims in the street. I think it's a circle. Mm-hmm. Eventually, if you become so regressive left, you become fascist because yes. you're hiding, you're tamping down the debate that needs mm-hmm. to happen to make sure that the fascist doesn't get into power. Yeah. Where, where do you think is the solution? The solution, Sean, I think, is having an open and honest conversation minus the anger. Yeah. Minus the anger. Yeah. People are so pissed off because mothers are tired of losing their children. Yeah. Fathers are tired of losing their children. Mm. And the laws kind of need to work for everyone the same and yeah. not just certain specific people. God forbid, you know, I get into like a, a verbal jousting match yeah. with a police officer. I don't know if I'm going to make it out of life. No. I completely understand. And, I, I, and it's scary. What no. was your background? Where did you come from? 
I went to a historical black college. That's an interesting fact about me. A lot of people. Are you from New York? No, I was born in Washington D.C. Uh. I was born in Washington D.C. Um, me and my mom moved to New York right before um, I graduated from high school. So I still okay. graduated from high school in the D.C. Maryland area. Just a segue. I went mm-hmm. down when I just before I left. I was a bit disillusioned, as I usually am uh, many times. But I, I left it a few years ago, and I went down on my own to Washington, mm-hmm. uh, just to, on my own, just mm-hmm. to see the the intention uh, <laughs> of what they meant uh-huh. uh, and as I used to say that the, the, the guys will be turning in their statues I think if they saw what, oh, what America's totally. become but it's quite inspiring yeah. down there it's, oh, any, no, anyone, it's totally inspiring I mean, I'm in down you can there see the you can see the intention of America in Washington D.C. everywhere you go it's great Clean. So you so you had your brothers and sisters or only time? Okay, only time. So yeah, so we. And what did your mom do? My mom right now is an adjunct professor at Rutgers University Ooh, for okay. women's studies. She's, okay. she's actually a PhD. So I have a doctor mom. She doesn't cure cancer, but she she helps people. So did she push you hard? Um, no, man. Like, like my mom is probably like greatest mom of all time. I'm pretty oh. sure everyone feels that way about their moms because. I did my work really didn't change until she retired and right. she retired actually from the UN oh, okay so my mom's always been working on like global women's issues and things of that nature well she left Rutgers went to the UN retired from the UN and now is back at Rutgers teaching women's studies so she kind of flip-flop back and forth working right. um, back and forth in New York but the year she retired is also the year she got her PhD at 70 years old. Wow. Yeah, so my mom's, my mom's not... And she's wrote a couple books and all yeah. that, whatever. Um, she's pretty awesome. Well, how does she view the situation? Well, she... Mom, actually, my mom views it how you stated it actually when we first started. Like, she feels like it's lip service. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And it's like, we're just going to do, like, the bare minimum yeah. to make it seem like... So we don't get sued. So we don't get sued. Exactly. <laughs> hey, but, we got this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we got this guy. But she is, next to my wife and my daughter, is one of my biggest supporters. Yeah. So she always felt like my ideas are just too much for some entities to handle. Yeah. So when I did... But when, just stick with that for a second, yeah. because... I know what it's like in JWT, and I'm yeah. able to say this because yeah. I've left. You don't, you're not expressing yeah. the views of JWT no, here. Nah. But how hard is it when you know you are that guy? And then you're, it doesn't matter if it's JWT, mm. supposing it's yeah. any big ad agency. And yeah. you're, because the, they all have them, right? They all no! Have, oh, they no, don't. Dude, okay. oh my God. 60% of most advertising agencies do not have a leader of diversity. Ah, okay. So, JWT, we have to give. plan. To solve the okay, so we problem. have to we have to give some ups to JWT there. Um, how hard is yeah? Okay, how hard is it when you're in the room to kind of get the feeling that the the real leadership of the company is behind your ideas? I mean, and, and Sean, you know, I've known you for a while. To be honest, it's about giving a shit. It, yeah, that's yeah. the that's my straight up answer right, right there. It's about having people that really care. Yeah. Um, regardless, regardless of what their background is, like you have to give a shit. Yeah. I know people that are chief diversity officers at other agencies and everything like that, and they are doing their best. But at the end of the day, it always comes down to fucking funding. Yeah. 
You know, because like, oh, well, we couldn't put out and we can't sponsor this and da-da-da-da-da. So in this new arena of advertising called, you know, diversity in which all these problems could slowly get a fix. Like, I would say in 2014, 2014, went out to L.A. for a diversity conference. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up because a friend of mine is the founder of it. It's called the Ad Color Awards and Conference. Right. It's two days. All diversity people, all different backgrounds. They come to this. There's a conference the first day, celebrity um, panels, just regular people from diversity panels. Leo Burnett presented a campaign called No 266. So the word no, 266. And they predicted that in order for advertising to, for in order for multicultural people to just even out their white counterparts it will take 66 years wow and this was the campaign that they did while they were during the conference that it will take 66 years for the industry to like fully be diverse and that's a long time so let me just ask a devil's advocate mm-hmm. question here there's a, there's a there's a numbers game here that they're playing in that mm-hmm. which is and I, I understand it and I agree with it that yeah. you know when you walk into an ad agency in an ideal situation, <laughs> there is a hundred people, and the, the the proportions of people across the agency are all reflective mirror image of the city in which we live. Right? Yeah. Now, let's talk about basketball. Okay. And how African American basketballers, yeah. the white no. white men can't yeah. jump, right? Yeah. <laughs> I never played basketball. <laughs> what if basketball, and uh-huh. I'm being devil's advocate uh-huh. here, said, you know, we've got a real, we've got a real, pro- I mean, imagine if basketball was all played by white guys, right? <laughs> and, and tall black guys weren't getting a look in. Yeah. And they go, we're, and also, we're better than you, you mm-hmm. fuckers. But let's just say the NBA said, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's going to take 66 years mm-hmm. for four players on each team mm-hmm. to be white and mm-hmm. two black mm-hmm. that's part you know three and five three uh-huh. and two tell me what you think about that I mean it's hard to think about that because the NBA started out as an all white league anyway I know I know <laughs> so when I, you know where I'm in. going you know where I'm going with it it's yeah. a good example because yeah. it's a meritocracy yeah the bet the best people mm-hmm. should be in the agency, irrespective yes. of color. Yes, and race I totally is agree. what we're talking I about. Totally in the same totally way that yeah. any team that starts hiring too many white guys in basketball is mm-hmm. not going to compete yeah. because African Americans are better mm-hmm. at basketball. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they have, I guess, they've got longer arms and they're taller or whatever Stronger. it is. So this idea of meritocracy, I got into trouble with, uh, I was interviewing the head of uh, civil rights from Mm -hmm. Connecticut, a girl called uh, Cheryl, and I was just, again, spoofing her up a bit, but Mm -hmm. I was saying, like, when I came, this is true, you know this, because Mm -hmm. when I came to work in advertising, in in strategy planning for 27 years, Mm -hmm. I found that female planners were better than men. Hmm. Okay. This is a basketball comment. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, women were more empathetic. Mm-hmm. They did a lot more shopping. Mm-hmm. They understood a lot more. You know, so I didn't discriminate against mm-hmm. men. Clearly, if I was yeah. saying this the other way around, I'd be in deep trouble yep. right now. <laughs> but I'm saying that that I, I I would generally be more favorable at interview mm-hmm. because I have gone to so many interviews with stupid male mm-hmm. planners. Mm-hmm. Towards women mm-hmm. in advertising, yeah, I got put. She 
fucking killed me for that. She said, "Oh, you're just being a, you know, you're, 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 you're that's discrimination." And like we were, of course, using it for the same yeah. purposes as mm-hmm. I use the basketball yeah. analogy. Mm-hmm. And I do, again, mm-hmm. I want to have the conversation. Yeah, I don't exactly. want to someone say, "Show on the fucking racist or whatever." <laughs> How does that grab you? Because I can't. Like, well, let's go back then. Is are the schools churning out an equal number? Of Hispanic, African American, and, and and Caucasian copywriters or no, art directors, I, I don't and is that so. where we should start? I don't, I don't think so. I don't. I I'm here because you know I can give my fucking opinion. <laughs> I feel I feel like no, the schools are not right because one, and I have I have a degree in education, so I don't have a degree in fucking advertising, but somehow I know a lot about it now. I feel advertising as a career choice is never one of the first ones put in front of people of color. And even historically, because there's just not that many that were in the business to to reference to, right? So that's why. So mentors are very important. Mentors is huge. Mentors, which you are a mentor for these people. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, no, yeah, I am. But what I what I mean by when I say these people, I mean people who just would not normally consider because. of... Yeah, but I mean, I've been mentors to to, you know, kids and white kids. I know, all all the same. Um, but I feel that advertising is just not one of those careers that comes around on career day. Yeah. You know, like I, if you could if you could think back when you're a teenager and they had career day in high yeah. school, like was there ever a fucking ad man there? Ten times out of ten, no. No. Right? What's Where, it like in Wall Street? <sighs> worse? Who else? Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I mean it's just it's just like Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. You know, Silicon just, Valley's bad too, right? Yeah, Silicon Valley sucks. Silicon Valley sucks. I, I, again, I think I'd love to hear the most racist employer. What but this is what I'll say about Silicon Valley. And, you know, other advertisers, if you're listening to this, you can hate me now and, you know, send me mean <laughs> tweets. But at least Silicon Valley is transparent about their shit. Right. Like, at least they put out their percentages, regardless of how low they are. And I mean, I'm talking about percentages under 5%. Yeah. At least they're transparent about it. Ad agencies, not too transparent about their problem. Not too transparent about their problem at all. Like, yeah, you know, like we have the Ad Color Awards and that's really great. And we have the Multicultural Advertising Internship Program. We have the Minority Advertising Training Program out on the West Coast. And, you know, you have these small little entities that are doing the best that they can with the resources that they can get. But... As far as transparency, I do not feel advertising is as transparent as the tech industry. So they don't pr- produce figures, no? I haven't seen one agency produce figures. Uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I have not seen anything. They all have them, too, because they're Oh, petrified. they have them because they have to, they have to, report, them to, they have to exactly. report them to the government. Yeah. But, like, and you probably remember, you know, a gentleman by the name of Derek Goss. When yes. he was there. But, like, people used to confuse me and him. Yeah. And he's short. He is short. <laughs> you know, but like, people used to confuse me and him. Or like, uh, Yusuf. I don't know if you remember Yusuf. Yeah. You know, like, I, when, you when Yusuf. He had mad hair. Yeah, I was like, Yusuf. When he told me he was leaving, I was like. There was only you, Yusuf, Rob, um, the English <laughs> Yeah, guy. Rob. And yeah. Rob's like, you know, three yeah. feet taller than yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my boy. So like, literally, I was just trying to think. I could, yeah, they're the only four. But, I but like, if, if that's, if we can count them on one hand, yeah. Sean. Yeah, yeah. There's a fucking problem, you know, especially when it comes to client-facing, and, and in my case, I'm just going to say client-facing black males, yeah. because there's dick as far as client-facing black females. Yeah. 
Well, you can learn client service. Yeah. You're not, you're not born. Yeah. You, you, you can so be taught to say yes. <laughs> but uh, so can you learn how to do copywriting? I believe you can. But as far as the schools putting out numbers equal to their white count to their white counterparts, no, they're not. Yeah. Like I know of kids that just came out of college, and they they say, "Yeah, I was like one of like three black kids in my major of advertising." Big so where do school. the creative Hispanic and African Americans end up? The creative ones, the artists, the Man, writers. like either they're starving artists, you know, kind of doing their thing, or they kind of settle yeah. for a job in whatever other industry they can, you know, get into. You I know? must say, I, uh, you know, again, or their college doesn't even have an ad program. Yeah, let's let's even put that out there. Because, yeah. like, for instance, being a historically black college, I know that a lot of historically black colleges do not have advertising programs. Yeah. I mean, like, a big school like Howard University, they have the Advertising School of Excellence. Yeah. That's Howard University. That's a big black college. Any, everyone's heard about Howard University. Yeah. But, like, my alma mater, Lincoln University, which is actually the very first historically black college ever, right. did not. Where is that? That's in Pennsylvania. It's okay. like three hours away. And you, you, taught, you, you learned how to, to, you did an education degree, did you? Yeah, so, I had an education And did you do teaching at one stage? No, because no. I didn't want to tell people their kids were dumb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the things that you do, which I'm really intrigued by, is you, because you, you, we're, we're friends on Facebook mm -hmm. and... and uh, I have my own stupidity on Facebook, but you you you, you write a uh, you, you you believe in writing sort of inspirational quotes and oh, stuff. Yeah. Tell me about that. Oh well, those I mean those are just called like Thackerisms, basically. Yeah. I mean, but it's cool that you do um, that. And I mean, it's just Where did you, how did you start coming up with that idea? Because, and and this may be a little like Kanye-ish of yeah. me, but this is you know way for Kanye was having meltdowns in public, but like. I always, Sean, I always felt it was pompous when I see people quoting like Socrates and and yeah. great, you know, Confucius Martin King and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Because I was like, I didn't come up with that shit. And not that it's shit, because yeah. there are certain things that, you know, Confucius said, Martin Luther King, whoever, yeah. is, that, I, that speaks to me. Yeah. But no one speaks to me more than myself. Maybe yeah. that, maybe coming from only child, I have yeah. a lot of time to myself and yeah. I was talking to myself. <laughs> That's great. But um, those things that I write are just things that, you know, I, that just speak to me and they come to me at odd hours of the day and right. the night or whatever or some things I see or whatever. I mean, like once, you know, I'm in the liquor store buying a bottle of God knows what, probably vodka most of the time and the liquor store in my neighborhood also sells lottery tickets mm -hmm. and there's more people buying lottery tickets than buying booze yeah and that to me struck something and i was like you know you should spend less time scratching off lottery tickets and scratching off goals to make your life better oh okay you know because, <laughs> but I think it's. Into, I mean, I, I mean, I that's just the like only person I've met who, who, because because there's a certain uh, there's a certain confidence required to put yourself out there. Yeah, it's like, I came up yeah. with this. It's my line. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are. Mm, yeah, and but they're and good. They're people, good. I, I tell like people them. that it's crazy. I'm like, I know I quote myself, and it may sound crazy, but then when they listen to what it says, yeah, it speaks to them, and I'm glad. Like it has been able to touch like but some you, people. And everything like that, like yeah. But you're educate. You're an educ. Yeah, you're a trained educator. Trained you're also educator. a mentor now. Yes. And yeah. those are things that mentors have to do: is give people yeah. pithy 
inspirational things yeah. and they can go and I remember reading and uh, listening to an interview and you, you, you mentioned that you do partly you do them so that you know your daughter is, yeah. is framed in such yeah. a way that she yeah. can feel her father was was trying yeah. um, where do you see the, the, the future um, like your, your daughter is what four, five or six now six, six in yeah. I'm very, I'm very a couple cool. days. Sixteen days. I'm very days. good when I come on, on, on these interviews because I could, Facebook just tells you the age of 16. kids. Sixteen. She'll, she'll right. be, she'll be six in sixteen days. And she's now. adorable. And, and uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's a princess. Cute. What's her future going to be like? Man, I mean, I mean, I'm doing my best like every day just to kind of be like the right role model for her. Obviously, being around and you know being. With her, with being with my wife, we're yeah. still married. Thank God, she still she puts up with me too. But um, <laughs> I just want to be that role model. The one thing, Sean, and you probably didn't know about this this about me is that I grew up without a father. Right. So that automatically puts me in like sixth gear as far as like trying to be the right mm. role model for mm. her because like I never really had that many role model male yeah. role models yeah. in my life my role model is always my mom I mean yeah. like my best friend's dad I consider like my dad I call him dad right. you know like I sent him a picture of me and my daughter the other day he said have a great day dad right. and he was like yeah keep protecting your queens and I'm right. like cool right. but like for her I try to just give her a perception of the world that you know it's not perfect but you know I don't tell her oh white people are racist and black people are crazy and Hispanic yeah. people will stab you no nothing like that more just like this is the path you need to be on like for instance I remember one Sunday I had to go into the office to do something really quick and we went into the office I took her with me because I take her pretty much everywhere I go and we walked into the office and there was a guy on the corner of Lexington 45th yeah. and it was right when like yeah. fall was almost turning into winter yeah. and there's a guy standing there panhandling for money and he had no shoes and I don't think he had on socks you know we saw him and we kind of just walked by and we went into the office walked back we we're walking back to my car and he was still out there and I got her a little treat from a cupcake store and I was like he's still out there mm -hmm. so we walked back into the office she was like daddy what are we walking back into the office for and I said um we're going to do something for that guy standing on the corner. For some reason, I kept a pack of socks. Kept a pack of socks. Weird. At the office. But we grabbed that brand new pack of socks. And we took him down to that guy. And I had her hand him to the guy oh, that had no socks on. And he broke down crying. Oh. And he asked me my name. I was like, my name does not matter. Yeah. I was like, we just want to help you out. Yeah. It's cold out here. Yeah. You take care of yourself. And I explained to her that this is what we do. When people have, we were put in a position to have socks, yes. to have shoes, yeah. but this guy, by through some, you know, bad bad mm -hmm. luck, mm -hmm. does not have socks or yeah. shoes. Yeah. So, this is what we do: we help yeah. people. Yeah. She was she she was probably four then, but she was like, "Okay, Daddy, mm -hmm. if that's what we do, then then we help people." So you so a huge part of. Front and center of mm -hmm. your moral compass is this idea that you, you, you're trying to fix the issue that you didn't have a, a father fix. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's a big thing. And sometimes I'm a little hard on her and everything like that because I just wanted to be great at everything that she puts her mind into. Mm -hmm. I want her to be great at school. So like on top of like her schoolwork that she already does, like I have textbooks 
that we work out of, yeah. you know, but that's the reason why she's like probably one of the brightest kids in her class. No disrespect yeah. to the other kids, yeah. but that's probably why, because on top of the schoolwork that she does, yeah. we come home and we do work not even assigned by her teacher. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I, 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 I have, we could spend a whole other yeah. podcast about <laughs> the education system here, but I, I find, I just think the simple things of, of, of you know, presidents of America, major mountain ranges, major cities, mm-hmm. geography, like, yeah. It's not being taught. I remember somebody like of twenty two saying to me, "Why do I need to know that?" <laughs> I can. I, you know, to be fair, he said, "I have it in my phone. I if I ever need, yeah, yeah, it's easy." It's and, I, easy. and I'm like, oh, "That's really disappointing." <laughs> yeah. I think you need to know because there's certain things that a human being you need to know. Like if you take your drive on diversity and and, and your your little daughter mm-hmm. uh, out another layer, it's yeah. the world and it's. Yeah. climate change and it's yeah. kind of fix things and again the same things apply we have to have the discussion without yeah. anger yeah but if people are stupid you know there's one of my other guests talks about the war on intelligence it's like people yeah. who are fucking smarter yeah why are, you, why are you so smart you don't need to be that smart you, you know it's almost yeah. like a character flaw yeah my passion just has always been to have this open conversation mm-hmm. um the problem is also I feel like the pipeline in which the industry is depending on, on getting candidates, like it just needs to be looked at again. We kind of rely on the same schools and everything like that. And, and nothing wrong with the schools that are, are giving us these people, but yeah. like the pipeline needs to be greater, yeah. better yet. I think in, there needs to be a greater pipeline. And I was telling someone the other day, I was like, well, if you feel that the schools aren't producing candidates that are well enough to work in the business, then why are we working with the professors on the curriculum to say like, look, this is what we need. You're not giving us this. Yeah. Let's kind of mash those up and then we're getting exactly what we want. Yeah. Even when the colleges come to visit for like an hour or two, I don't necessarily think there's that conversation between the professor and just the ad recruiter. I don't think that conversation is being had at all. It's more like, oh, well, let's learn about the history. And, yeah. oh, these ads are funny. And this was added a year. And blah, 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 blah. Like, who gives a shit about that? Yeah. How about these are the skill sets that we require? Mm-hmm. Like, because, and no disrespect to the professors either, but, like, you know, the, the professors are people that were in the business like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's fucking changed. Yeah. It's changed. Kenny, great to chat with you. I think one of the things we learned today was, and the positive thing I would take out of the conversation is that there is still a diversity problem, but mm-hmm. your comment about millennials uh, seeing life through non-racist spectacles mm-hmm. and possibly feeling that they're as a body of people is encouraging. I think we also, from an advertising and also creative industries point of view, need to fill that pipeline that you talked about, get people interested in coming into the ad business mm-hmm. because I think you know, once they start knocking on the doors, the doors will start to mm-hmm. open. I'd certainly put my hand up if you've got anything happening that you need any help with me, I can I can help <laughs> giving people a, my that. jaundiced view on the business. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on a pint with Shawnee B. No keep problem. up the keep I up the fight, good. man, and uh, <laughs> we'll hopefully in uh, ten years have a better a better ad industry that's more full of I diversity so. and uh, so. hopefully better ads. <laughs> Take care, brother. Thank you.